Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Flamingo Sundays. Today I'm joined by a man who's actually sitting up in the sunny coast of Australia, enjoying the beautiful rays. Um, he's uh, a man that really understands anything to do with financials. I actually seen him on stage and he, I've just learned it was his very first time on stage uh, next to the likes of Gary Vaynerchuk and, and Grant Cardone. Graham Hull, mate, welcome to Flamingo Sundays. Thanks, Jack. Mate, um, I think you've, you've got a pretty interesting story, uh, especially from, from even you know last year to where you are right now, how much growth you've had. But if you were to take it back to, to the, the young Graham Holm, how did you, how did you become to, to get into this financial industry and become an expert in your, your so-called field? <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, well, so uh, Housing Commission kid from, from Wollongong, south, south coast past Sydney. Uh, single mother, you know, 17, 18 years old, uh, victim of domestic violence at six months old. So I had a pretty rough trot from the get-go. And, um, you know, the, the people around me, bar some close family and friends, it was pretty rough. You learned to run and then you learned to fight when they could catch you. So for me, it was kind of like sport become a saviour because there was, it was, you know, most people were into drugs and alcohol and all sorts of shit. Um, so at nine years old, my grandfather put me in soccer and that was a bit of a saving grace and got all the way to playing at an international level for Australia, for futsal and Australian schoolboys and travel Brazil, Argentina, Europe, England, stuff like that. So for me, it was um, really sport got me away from, I guess you'd call it that washing machine cycle. You know, a lot of people get trapped in that I'm bruised and battered and I've had a rough life and woe is fucking me sort of scenario. Um, so for me, it was like, well, sport became the savior. And then from sport, I had some adopted family. You know, I had other families, other religions, races, beliefs, etc. So I got to form some, some of my own opinions on the world. Um, but yeah, mate, it really came from sport that sort of gave me that competitive streak and wanting to be the best at what I do and, and get away from the housing commission sort of estate and cycle. Um, but then also, you know, going into banking at 18 years old because sporting career is over, had an injury and thought I had all the gear and no idea and I was going to drive a Lamborghini and girls would chase me down the streets of London. Well, I'm still waiting look for that. Hey? I'm still waiting for the Lamborghini and the girls. Yeah, mate, tell me about it. Tell me about it. No, I've got a very beautiful wife, so I think I won't worry about chasing the girls and I've had the cars and let me tell you from a, a house that you fill your life, you fill these voids with shit. And you realize that you're a bit of a wanker, so you let it go. And my first world problem was I was too fat for the Ferrari, so I sold it. <laughs> so, um, but mate, yeah, it was really rough upbringing. But, you know, sport gave me that competitive edge and, and let me see into other friends and families' life that you could do better. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a victim of my environment, so to speak. So for me, sport was a savior. Then I went into banking. I really went into banking and finance because I know that money isn't the, lack of, the root of all evil lack of money is the root of all evil and you know you see people in some of these environments they they grow up with not much of a chance because they're just surrounded by the same shit day in and day out so for me it started all in the gong and i had a, I had, I had a couple of really really good mentors in my banking career and by 21 i was a bank manager and a lending manager right so, which was great because i spent 10 years with a major four learning what not to do because they pretty much just screw the customer for as much as possible Right, and we're definitely going to get into that. How how does a a young kid obviously you know it's it's natural for young kids to go into any sort of sport, but you've obviously progressed from being at a, a local level to a you know a national level and an international level. 
how, how do you go from, uh, I guess, the pinnacle of sport at the time to then go, oh, what am I going to do now? Let's get into banking. But it, it's hard, but you've got to put that competitive energy to something, right? So when you stop, you know, training Tuesday nights, Thursdays, and you have indoor Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you play Saturday, and so like my life seven days a week was soccer or football. Yeah. So, you know, for me, when that stopped and I wasn't able to do it as much anymore, it was like, well, shit, you know, what am I going to do now? Um, so I had to put it into something, which for me was study. And I think that's really, really important. You've got to get an education, not just a tertiary or school education and a textbook. You know, Kiyosaki says it best that the memorization of answers is not intellect. That's not education, right? Read a textbook, write it down, remember it. That just means you've got a good memory. It doesn't actually allow you to adapt it. You know, I learned fucking Pythagoras theorem and Archimedes screw and formulas from my men. I don't use any of that shit. None of it. None of it. But I didn't learn how to open a business and register an ABN and financials and cash flow. And I didn't learn any of that shit. And that's the shit that I needed to learn. And, uh, and that's the stuff that I'm really into now. And at a young age was, you know, can share all the knowledge in the world back in the day when I was growing up was in a library. Now all the knowledge and the bullshit of the world's on Google. So the young kids out there, it's really, you know, and the up and coming entrepreneurs, it's, it's really important they study, they get an education, but they get a, a world relative education, like real shit, you know, like, and do your apprenticeship for crying out loud. Like people are like I'm an entrepreneur and they sit at the cafe with their MacBook and they're changing the world one mocho choco latte at a time, <laughs> living with mum and dad. And it's like, what are you actually, oh, I'm in a fintech startup. Cool. What's the forecast? What's the cash flow? When do you think you'll hit break? You know, the shit that they don't even understand themselves, but they're in this phenomenal startup with mummy and daddy's money, changing the world one latte at a time. And it's like this thing to say I'm an entrepreneur because I've had three or four failed startups. That's not an entrepreneur. That's somebody that's trying to make it big, but doesn't understand how to do it yet. And I don't say that people don't have a crack, but do your apprenticeship. If I was a fucking, if I was a plumber or a carpenter, I'd have to do a four-year apprenticeship. You know, if I'm going to go to uni and get a tertiary education and I'm going to be a doctor, I need to study for four to six years or a lawyer. And I think it's really important that find someone that you aspire to be like, something that you love. Like, you know, you're in the real estate industry, go and grab a Tom Penas or, you know, someone like that in the industry that's really highly regarded and well-known as a coach or, you know, in the finance industry or whatever it is. Go and find that gun. Success leaves clues and offer to work for them for free. Do an internship, do an apprenticeship, find that gun and follow them and just mold yourself out of everything they're doing that's good and ignore the bad because everyone's got good and bad. Yeah, and that sounds very similar to what I did. I, I aspired to be like Chris Gray, who's you know, well-known in Sydney. As the Crushed it. Expert. Great guy. And um, you know, I was his shadow for four, four or five years. And I still am now, but now we're usually drinking pints at the the uh, the oak or the when, he, when he's when he's not driving around in his cars, mate, track touring <laughs> somewhere. Exactly. And man, Chris is a great example of that he he's walked the walk, he's talked the talk, he's got the results, he's got the tenure in the industry. You've got to find those people and go. You know what? I need to be there. Just listen to the way they talk, the way they write an email, you know, the way they interact with people. Like they're all learnt skills. And you can mimic those until they become natural and subconsciously competent. Yeah, 100%. Really important. How, how did you go, 
I mean, obviously from, from sport into banking, just a natural progression, obviously needed to get a job, but what inspired you to then want to, you know, help people understand money? Because it sounds like you didn't come from money and it sounds like there was no real financial education when you were a young kid either from mum and dad. So No, look, it was get the dollar, get the paycheck and spend it within two days and then spend 12 days broke till next fortnight's dole payment. So... You know, I mean, admittedly, a different period. Mum worked bloody hard, but it was just mum and I shared, you know, three or four part-time jobs instead of the dole. But, you know, people around me, it was pretty rough. Right. I think a, a, big, a big facet of the inspiration, Jack, is, um, is knowing what happens to people when they don't have financial education. You know, for me, like, no one in my family, by grandparents, was ever going to be a homeowner. Do you know what I mean? It was like, you know, housing commission. I remember the people across the road as houses. And they had, the, the house was in the, the mum's name and they had multiple daughters, yet the mum had a partner who was nothing on there financially. And they had a boat and an SS Commodore and you know, they had all the gear, right? Like lived across the road from me, but the house was just in the mum's name as a sole parent on the sole parent pension paying friggin' 90 bucks a week in housing commission rent. But they got boats and cars and you know, just rotting the system. Like it's, it's classic, you know, classic Aussie trait. Um, but I think the, the key was I wanted to own a home. Like something happens to people when they own a home, like a unit, a home, your first home, it, it does change you like emotionally and mentally and even physically. Like there's this sense of pride in home ownership in Australia, which is why they call it the great Australian dream. And for me, going into banking, I actually wanted a cheap home loan and I wanted to, to grow and learn and study and, and I had somebody saying, well, banking's great for you. Like you're competitive, you love talking to people, you're personable, you're good with numbers. You know, it's a, it's a proven thing. Like I like things that are mathematical. One and one equals two or a dozen. You don't have to like me. You don't have to think, oh, that's salesy or that's not. What I do is mathematical. So you can't actually, people can throw stones and question it, but you can't argue with results. So for me, it's like, well, I want a cheap home loan. I want to study. And I figured, well, hang on a minute. If I could get a job in a bank and I could learn how to stop people struggling financially and I could learn how to do that, I'll get my first home quicker. And I bought my first home at 21 and then again and again and again. So, and I just got the bug. So for me, it was learning about money, but then learning about real estate because everybody I knew that was wealthy had real estate. And, and, and that brings you to, to where you are now. So how long did you stay in the banking industry where you, before you thought, well, these people aren't doing it right and I can do it better and I want to start my own thing? Yeah, so I, I did about a 10-year stint, just, just on a decade. But I left after about six years, I think it was, six or seven years, because I couldn't grow anymore in the gong. You know, like I had to commute to Sydney or at one point I was a relief manager and I was going to Barrel and camp. I was going everywhere for work because I was hungry. And... Um, I just, yeah, I just realized that I couldn't grow anymore. So I actually resigned and took a job over the phone, phone interview and moved to Brisbane. And it was actually 2007 or eight. It was right at the beginning of the GFC. I remember taking a job as a broker and leaving the bank. And this is just, you know, the key thing for me, I remember I was at the bank and someone come in, I wrote a loan for him when I was like 20, I think it was 21. And they came back to see me at like 20, you know, it's five years later or something. And they'd only paid off like 40, 50 grand off the loan. And they wanted to borrow 40 grand or something to put a pool in and do landscaping around the pool. And I'm like, this is fucked. Like, 
literally just fucked up. Like I remember looking at the numbers going, like their house has gone up a bit, their debt's gone down a bit, and now they're going to borrow back exactly what they've actually achieved. Like these people just aren't going to get ahead. Like this is this is a shocker. So for me, it was it was a bit of an eye opener, a bit of an epiphany. I'm like, there's got to be more. And then also, I was getting in trouble. Like you could walk in to see me at my bank. And I knew that you did not suit the credit policy that I could get the loan approved. I knew it was a decline of, oh, look, go talk to Steve at ANZ or, or talk to Adam at, you know, at, at NAB sort of thing, because you could get a loan there. And I knew that, right? And we all talked in, you know, the business community and I'd get wrapped over the, oh, you should have done an application. You should have tried to do the client's insurance. You should have sold them this. You should. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, no, I should have understood the customer's needs their needs did not suit our policy and products. Therefore, we couldn't serve them. So I sent them somewhere that they could get a result. That's customer service. But that's when the banks, and they still are, was just so sales driven. You know, it was like sell, sell, sell. They call it share a wallet or four plus P. If you could get the client to get a loan, a credit card, insurance and a bank account and more, you had such a share of their wallet. It was too fucking hard to move. So yeah, it was... But it was, it was interesting. It was, I, I sort of got in because I wanted to, to learn and study. And also the other side of it was I realized the bank would pay for my education and I could do on the job study, which instead of doing four years of uni, I could go and get diplomas and certs and all sorts of stuff. The bank would pay for it and I could actually do it in about two years. So it made sense. So, Financial sense as well. Well, it made funny. I didn't have a hex debt. The bank was paying me to learn. I said, is this, and this is why I laugh when people go to the bank for the advice. The bank is paying for those people. They pull in as salespeople from some industry. They're paying them while they train them. So you're getting paid to learn, but the person actually knows two parts of fuck all. So people go to the bank and, and no one stays. It's not like you go to the bank when you're 18 and you're a lifer and you get a silver gold watch at the end. You talk to no one these days has been in a bank longer than a few years, unless they've made it to the ivory tower at head office. Yeah. So for me, it was like, Hey, I get my education paid for. I learn and grow quickly. I get hands on experience in the real world and hopefully I get to help people. And after years I went, well, I'm not really helping people. They're in the same position they were five or six years ago. And There's gotta be more to this. Sorry. I said, and they want to put in a pool and they want to put in a pool. And, and it's like, they're going backwards. Like, I'm actually partaking in that family going backwards. I was like, yeah, no, this is shit. And so yeah, I mate, took the job as a broker and resigned. And it was funny because I remember my package at the time was like 59,990 or 69,990. This is a good story for the young players out there that feel undervalued. And I remember resigning to my boss saying, hey, look, I really appreciate all your mentorship and your guidance and how much I've grown but I'm packing up and moving in a state. I've got a job and I start next week and I'm going to rent my house out and you know, I'm, I'm off. It's, it's a, it's a life decision. I've just had enough. And um, I went from that say 60 or 70 grand package. And I was a hybrid. I was a bank manager, branch manager and the lending manager. I did two jobs. I opened the bank every day. I did all the reports, trained all the staff, served customers. And I was in there writing loans throughout the day and the night as well. And I was doing two jobs for one pay, which is typical of a bank. And when I resigned and I had a, a little um, V-dub, I worked at Westpac and it was a little V-dub, you know, the Herbie with the flower thing. That was my company car. 
When I resigned, next minute I had a brand new Holden Calais, a new laptop, a new phone, and my salary was up to like 110, 120 grand if I stayed. And I'm like, shit, I've just learned a valuable lesson. If I was worth a hundred and something, why wasn't I getting paid it? So I learn a valuable lesson and I tell all my team the same that I want them to grow so much in their career that they should outgrow me and leave or they should grow so much that they can pitch me on why they're worth more. And if they're worth more and they demonstrate the value, they'll get always get more. And I think that's really important for people. It's not like you just go and ask for a pay rise because you deserve it. You've got to earn it. But if you focus on learning and growing and teaching yourself and, and really not just meeting expectations of a customer, but exceeding them, just keep growing and you'll be worth more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, now tell us about infinity. You obviously started that business. Uh, was that, was that the broking business you went into or did you go into a broking business and then branch out onto your own? Yeah, no, I actually did like 10 to 12 months in the GFC as a broker there and then went nut and rang my old boss and said, help, I don't want to come back to Wollongong or Sydney. Can you get me a job in Queensland? And I uh, ended up being a mobile lender going back to the bank for another couple of years through the GFC because it was just tough. In the GFC as a broker, it was like, yeah, how, how do you feed yourself? Yeah. So I, um, I ran back to the bank for a couple of years and then got married, got divorced. That was a 12-month whirlwind in and out and had to start again with a lot of debt and no money and um met my wife now rebecca who you know picked me up off the ground and dusted me off and went you're better than this sort your shit out and um, let's build something phenomenal that's different and she um she was studying financial planning and broking at the time and um she had a really successful health and fitness business that she sold out of an accident and we focused on the finance but it was, you know, Infinity started in late 2012 and it was off the back of her studying and doing what I'd been doing back then, probably, I don't know, 12 years, 13 years, in maybe 13 years, 12 years in the industry. And everything I did, she's like, why? And I'm like, what do you mean, why? That's the way it's always been done. Shut up. She's like, no, no, why? And I'm like, why? And now I say one of the most dangerous statements in the world is it's always been done that way. It's always been go to the major four. That's where you banked dolomites to death. You've had your kids savings account there, your school account. So that's when you go to Macca's and get a job, you bank there. Then you go get a home loan, you bank there. And everyone thinks that that's the best deal, but they're actually typically the most expensive deals. They're not a deal at all. So she challenged me on everything that I thought that I thought was the financial services industry and mortgage broking. And we were able to pull that apart by her challenging me because she was fresh to the industry and studying. And then we put a personal training aspect on it of, well, why do people fail financially? Why do they spend everything they've got direct access to? You know, why do they just tap, tap a roo? Why do they get a credit card and rack that up and get in this washing machine of debt? And those challenges, I always wanted to help people do better, but she brought that innovative thought process out in my brain of, shit, you're right. I'm just following the old guard here and doing what they've always done, which is what the bank taught them, which makes the bank the most amount of money. So, and, and it's interesting because people talk about, you know, what success mean to them, so to speak. And last year I was given the best broker in Australia. And this year I was given the most innovative financial services firm in Australia. And it's interesting. People go, oh yeah, that Graham Blake, rah, rah, rah. Fuck, I've been doing this for 18, 19 years. 
absolutely an overnight success. 19 <laughs> years. You know, that's why I say these kids, go and do your apprenticeship uh, and be open to learning from others. Because if I sat there and went, no, nah, yep, been doing this for 13 years, Beck, you don't know what you're talking about, do it this way, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah. I would not be here today. I'd be plodding along as your everyday broker, one of 20, 30,000 in the country. I'd be telling people to refinance a 30-year loan for another 30 years to save 0.1 or 2 and ripping them all. You know, like as soon as you dare to be different, you get a different result. But it pisses people off because they're not used to it. It's uncomfortable. That's not how you do things. Well, fucking tough luck. Yeah, and it, I think it's, you know, anytime someone goes into an industry as an overnight success and shakes things up, they, uh, they generally do piss a lot of people off. And, and just, Absolutely. You know, the statutes, as I like to call them, who have been sitting in the industry for that many years and have been raking the benefits, especially something like broking people with huge loan books who have, you know, been enjoying the, the trailing commission for the last 20 years. That's right. Um, they're the people who feel the pain the most and are the ones who generally want to... Uh, want you to see you fail. A lot of them do um, do respect the success because, and I respect, you know, the people who've been in the industry for 10, 20, 30 years and I'm coming up on 20 now, but the ones that have been, the old guard that have been there for even a day, most of them show a, a fair amount of respect because they know what it takes to build a business to the size and scale that Rebecca and I have in eight years. Yeah. You know, some people have been going for 20 or 30 and haven't built a business to that scale and size. Most of them are pretty respectful um it's it's usually the the mid players or the fringe players that have got plenty to say but as you know and an empty can rattles the loudest and one of my favorite sayings is a successful man or woman is one that takes the bricks that other people throw at them for free stacks them and builds a free empire an empire with free bricks so i don't mind tom tom billio taught me that when i shared the stage with him uh late last year early this year early this year and he kept saying, he said, mate, Graham, write a list of your haters. Keep a list of your haters and look at it frequently and be driven by it. You know, be absolutely driven by the people that want to see you fail. So. We'll build the castle with their bricks, hey? I absolutely. Like just keep stacking them. Just keep chucking them. I don't mind. People can throw all day because I'll keep getting results. I'll keep catching the bricks and I'll keep stacking them and building. Or, or resell them. So Absolutely. Bricks. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so how did you then go to, to building the business to where it is today? And then, like you just said, sharing the stage with some of the biggest names in the world, like your Gary V's and your Grant Cardone's and your Tom Billy's. Like, you know, that, that's another step up in itself. Yeah. So we'd, we'd always been, you know, Rebecca and I have been really, really big in personal development and um, had interacted quite a lot with Michael Lane, one of the directors of Success Resources. And, you know, they're the biggest, largest education provider in the world so having that interaction and going to a lot of events ourselves and i remember i used to say you know michael every now and then in the lounge having a, hey how you going and just sort of introduce yourself and and a lot of people think oh i want to do this like that i could do that on stage and i was one of those people i used to sit in the crowd and listen to people and go oh i could do that well, I mean, you see me the first time. I, I choked on my words and did a I didn't think you were that bad. I was actually. Oh, mate! mate compared, compared to now, it was it was a horror story. I think I think I had forty five minutes, and in twenty two minutes, I was finished, and I was asking for some some clients, some Infinity family, to come and share their story on stage, which was my saving grace. So, but it got it got better, obviously. But you know, t talking to Michael and being at these events and constantly growing and learning, 
it put me in a position where I sort of started talking to him, saying, hey, I think we could really add value to your community. And it sort of, it just, it never came about for, for different reasons. We weren't ready to scale, time wasn't right. And then um, it was actually when I'd released my, my book that was an international bestseller. I think that sort of had started creeping Laney everywhere on socials and the SR crew and we had some amazing results because we've been going, you know, 2012, 2019, seven or 20, late 2012, we had sort of six, seven years under our belt. And I think that's one of the big things for the people out there going, I want to be on stage or I want to do this. So I want to scale my business. It's not that easy. You have to first have a deliverable that actually helps people and benefits them. You can't just sell something. It's really, really important. You've got something that you know gives benefit to people and it's tangible. You don't want to go, oh, hey, I've got this great course. Like we have a done for you model where we hold people's hands over the next year or couple of years. So, um, so yeah, that came about. Michael actually reached out to us and said, hey, love to you know talk about some of these things we talked about over the last couple of years when you're free. And I've seen you guys absolutely smashing it on socials and socials is another big thing. And lots of the Infinity family, we don't call them customers and advisors, but the Infinity family as a whole, we're just really vocal on social, sharing their results and how happy and how proud they were. And I don't think Laney could escape it. He just kept seeing us everywhere. And so we, we sat down and spoke and fortunately enough, for whatever reason, they had NAC coming up, which was Grant Cardone, Gary V, Kerwin Ray, Grant, uh, Grant and Elena Cardone, uh, Adam Hudson. You know, there's some amazing people at that event. And um, he said, Matt, I, I think we can, you know, you, you really fall in line with the National Achievers Congress. I think we can put a slot in here for you. Well, I got sphincter pucker and started sweating. And I'm thinking, Matt, I don't do public speaking. You know, we were doing small, intimate events, you know, the local RSL and the bowling club. And we were active in the free education space. Like, hey, come along and we'll teach you some stuff. And if you want to book a consultation, you can. So we were active in small groups, but not five, six, seven thousand people in the bloody you know, at, at bloody, what do you call it? At Homebush at Olympic Park. Like that was a big deal. Yeah. I, I mean, I walked into the back of that room all suited up going, yeah, okay, all right. Walked into the back of the room, got to the door, looked at thousands and I went, oh, fuck. I went to turn around and walk in back. Went, Where are you going? I said, I'm out, I'm done. You know, so it's it, it's one thing to say you want to do it, but to actually to do it and fulfill that that aspiration, it's quite empowering. But, um, but I'm my own harshest critic. So for me, people go, oh, I don't think you were that bad. Well, there's a lot of people that know me now that watch me speak at all the events or you watch the footage and they're like, wow, yeah, you were that bad. Like compared to say when I did Richard Branson or Robert Kiyosaki and some amazing other events with some phenomenal speakers. So it yeah. is something that I suggest people practice, but we were really, really blessed and fortunate that Laney reached out to us and said, you know, I'm seeing you guys everywhere. I really think you can give value to our community. And I really think you've got a really good education component that you're not scaling at the moment. And we weren't, we were small and boutique and, and just keeping it, you know, very intimate. Whereas now, thanks to Michael and the guys at SR, we, we're global and, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's amazing. You know, we've got a, a huge, a huge growing capacity of clients and family in New Zealand. Um, we're looking at some other stuff offshore, but COVID's obviously put a blanket on that. So, but again, it's just about, you know, I just don't want to give COVID permission to fuck with our mission. Like 
we're still going hard. We're still educating. We've just gone digital really quick. You know, got the microphones and all the gear and no idea. And, you know, we've all become Zoom experts overnight. So, so look, yeah, short stories, we're really fortunate. Success Resources and Michael reached out to us. And that's just seen us scale our business over the last 12 months at an exponential rate. Uh, we picked up two, two awards at the Australian Broking Awards this year. That's our fifth award in three years in a row. And that's just, you know, some crazy results that hasn't really been done before. Yeah. So we're just, um, we're fortunate that we've got a, it's almost like a cult-like following. We've got raving fans or groupies, like we call it the Infinity Family. They all help each other. They all do business together. It's this amazing community of, of good human beings. And I think that's really important. You know, your community is really important in whatever it is you're doing. Well, I think that's, you know, people like Lewis Howes, it's about, they say, you know, it's about building your tribe and about having that following because at the end of the day, that's the cheapest marketing there is in the world, right? People who are raving fans about your business. Absolutely. And, and we've got people that have, you know, we worked with in late 2012 um, that I've worked with, you know, a young guy, he's now on his fourth investment property and I've been working with him since 2012 and his parents have just semi-retired and bought a, a riverfront lifestyle property and, got six or seven investments so it's that journey people you know if you do the right thing by people they'll continuously come back and it's there's so many people out there like looking for leads and i'm like if you want to lead go to a fucking pet store there's a lead aisle there if you want to lead in the right you know like seriously but ah oh, leads and market it's like well the best marketing you can ever do is from your existing customer they are your marketing. They are your mouthpiece. They're your Google reviews. They're your, if you use them, they're your social media comments. They are an extension of you and your results. And, yeah. and, and they're your mouthpiece. Like you don't actually need to spend money on marketing if you have raving fans. 100%. Do you ever look back now on your journey and think, you, you know, you grew up in housing commission in Wollongong, you Sounds like you didn't have you know, much money whatsoever. You've played sports as a young kid, you know, nationally and internationally. You've, you've now built a very substantial business. You're sharing the stage with some of the biggest names in the world. I know you said you, you're, a, you're your own harshest critic, but do you ever just look back and think, well, no, I'm proud of myself, essentially. It's been a good journey. Look, look I, I am proud of myself, but in the same aspect, I still am my own harshest critic. I, I've got a pretty deep seated passion and mission to really take it to the banking sector in Australia. Right. Some of them play ball. Some of them do not. I've got a couple of banks that refuse to work with me now, get this in writing because my customers pay their loans off too quick and it affects their bottom line. So it's like, are they there to help or are they there to profit? Well, they're a business. They've got a profit, but you can do both. Yeah. There is an amount of commercial viability where you help people and still make a healthy profit and the, the business, you know, that, that banking sector and bank bashing is a national sport. Like, let's be honest, right? We, we all just want to take a bat to it. So I look, whilst I'm proud of myself, I do live by the motto of never settle. So yes, I'm proud of myself, but I'll be really proud of myself when I hit some other benchmarks and milestones. And, and they're actually milestones and benchmarks that are set on client outcomes. So I'm wrapped that we've broken some records for how quick we can pay off a loan. I'm wrapped at the results we've got from clients' investments and all sorts of stuff. Um, 
and, and even the, the changes that we've been able to instill in people's life financially, emotionally, physically, we've saved marriages because of, you know, financial stress and pressure, but I'm not quite done yet. Early days. And, and that's where I talk to people about doing their apprenticeship. You know, do your time like you did yourself with Chris, you know, do your time, be patient and good things do come to those who wait, but you've got to go out there aggressively and grab them or build them. Yeah. And for me, you know, nearly you know, 20 years in roughly next year, um, when is enough enough? Well, when I've touched enough lives that we change the education system in Australia and the banking sector becomes more about financial literacy instead of flogging products and services, then I'll be proud. And if I can leave that mark, you know, you've got the Aussie Johns, you've got the Mark Burrises, you know, people like that that have changed the face of the financial sector in Australia, then I'll be proud. You know, not, not a name that's known for being wealthy or making people money or saving people money. I want impact over income. That's really important to me. I want, I want a legacy play that people know that Graham Home, the chubby little house actually <laughs> made an impact in the financial service industry for the betterment of the consumer. That's where I'm headed. And, 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 and my, micro bits of pride, you know, every day I'm like, Oh, I'm really proud of this and I'm really proud of that, but I'm not prepared to settle yet because I haven't shaken up the industry enough. And maybe I think too big, but Hey, it got me to where I am today. That's it, mate. You never think big enough. Um, mate, looking back now on the journey and looking back on all the stuff you've been through and all the stuff you've learned, um, you know, what would you, what would you do differently or how would you change the journey if you could now? Like, is there anything that you go, look, maybe I would do this a little bit differently or I've learned from that. I can teach to other people. Or I did this wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I got, I had to testify in an asset case and all sorts of nasty stuff. And I had an online stalker from it from 10 months, just try to slander me online and, you know, I had to get them all removed and go to court. And but I would say, be careful who you trust. Trust is something that is earned and be absolutely critical in your circle of influence. Um, as you grow and you mature, especially when you're young and you're hungry, you can really get misguided and led astray or trust the wrong people and have the wrong circle of influence. But I would say to people, when you're young and fit and healthy and you're hungry, do it all then. Like go hard. You can, you can do the 15, 18 hour days, 20 hour, do it then. Right. Don't live for the weekend. As you say here, like here, like Gary V say, don't live for the weekend. Don't be like, yeah, I'm successful. I got a big commission this month and go pop bottles in the booth in the nightclub and, you know, fancy dinner, all that sort of shit. Be strategic, go and celebrate the income or the commission and reinvest it in the business or your growth or a passive income. And, I don't think, I think, I think, well, I know from personal experience, we, we can get caught up in the ego, you know, our own ego and the ego of social media. And nobody puts on social media like, oh, fuck, my world's gone to shit today. Who wants to be an entrepreneur? Fuck, right? No one's putting that shit out there. Like, there's a whole podcast someone could just do on, on, on fucking bad shit. But again, that's not very motivating, but man, I reckon people would really love to hear that other people are doing it tough sometimes too, but you're going to have more good days than bad days. So I'd say to, you know, for me doing it differently, 
I would have been more critical. Knowing what I know now, I would have been way more critical on my journey of who I partnered with, worked with, who I was or wasn't in business with, who I listened to, who I spent my time with. And I wouldn't have celebrated so many little wins along the way. I would have invested more critically and more in a more structured manner uh, to the point where I wouldn't have had to work as hard as I did along the way to claw my way back. Because yeah. anyone thinks it's a straight line to success, they can reverse engineer it, they're wrong. It's up and, you know, those pictures are up, down, climbing. You know, you're going to have good and bad days, but you'll have more good than bad. Yeah. I just say to people, do, do your time, find them and, and have mentors. If I didn't have mentors in my life, I never would have got here. I've still got them to the day, both paid and unpaid. I still have my mentors, my coaches, my go-to people, my personal board. We have our professional board in our businesses. It's so important to, to follow other people's lead, but it's so important to be careful whose lead you follow. Yeah, 100%. Just touching on when you said, you know, celebrating the, the little wins along the way, that's something that I've learned a lot over the last sort of six or so months. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? You know, it is easy to get caught up in, like you said, having a good week or having a good month. And, mm. you know, it's quite easy to go out there and blow half of what you've earned because it's, you're in the name of celebration. It's a common trait, right? And it's the dopamine effect. I actually call it, not being disrespectful to the word manic or bipolar budgeting. So it's like we work our backsides off. We grind and grind and hustle. And then you get that income or sale or event or whatever it is. And then you do go out and blow half of it when it hits the bank account because you deserve it. Well, you don't fucking deserve it. It's one win. One. Yeah. Right? So... <laughs> I, I mean, I've learned that the hard way. I mean, one year, like I become from nothing and now I'm a bit of a wine wanker. I'm on a health and fitness kick at the moment. So I'm off it. But there was a couple of years, probably two years there, I became a real wine wanker. And my thing would be to work so hard for two, three months and just balls to the wall, no days off and outwork everyone and then build up the result. And then I'd go spend a disgusting amount of money on a hotel for a night or two to relax and room service and a restaurant and wine. And, and I think, well, that's what I'm doing it for. Well, imagine thinking, saying to someone, yeah, I'm going to go and build a career and work my ass off just so I can eat and drink. Sounds a little bit fucking stupid when you put it that way, right? Yeah. But without controlling yourself, without a measured approach to success, still celebrate the win. But I could have celebrated the win at, a nice restaurant with a nice meal with friends and family or done something that didn't involve spending hundreds or thousands of dollars. You know, there's, there's times I've blown thousands of dollars and I was fortunate and blessed enough to be in a position to be able to do it. But knowing what I know now, I would never have done any of it. It's very knowing what I know now would have been like, Hey, I'm going to save that to buy some shares or put into property or put off debt or, you know, do this or overpay that payment. So it's important to celebrate the wins. You need to celebrate them on the way, but people get complacent. And sometimes you spend so much time and money celebrating the win, you have to have a complete reset before you can even start approaching your next win. Yeah, 100%. The, um, the thing is, you know, like 
you could go on a holiday or you could go out. You know, we, we're we're uh, known for going out on dinners and, and celebrating. But like you, you can go out and spend thousands of dollars, like you said. It's it's a good twelve hours. The next day you feel like shit. You've got no productivity, and you think to yourself, "What? I just blow all of that money for nothing." It wasn't even a celebration at the end of the day. It's made you feel worse. You actually you start to feel a bit of depression and anxiety, and then you worry because you're overspent because you maybe had a few too many vinos so you bought some <laughs> other vino or a, you know and but it actually takes a toll on you and while you're young you can get away with it once you hit your mid to late 30s early 40s your body does it's a two three day journey to actually get over that hangover and the damage and treating your body like an amusement park and all the alcohol so you know yeah you can have a great long lunch and turn it into dinner and all that sort of stuff and it's very much a city culture you know, yep. if you're in a regional centre or a small country town, people don't tend to carry on like that. You know, you might go for a nice meal, but I mean, have a have a dinner with your friends, have a barbecue, if depending what state you're in at the moment and how many people you can have over. But you know, it's it's just about being more strategic with the wins. And if if I if people are listening to this and they could take nothing else but celebrate the wins, you know, win the battle, but try to win the war. And if you could celebrate those wins and put that money or a large chunk of it into investments to get a passive income, man, that would be so much smarter than what I've done over the years and probably what you've done yourself, mate. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm learning now. It's good, it's good that I've learned young, interviewing people like yourself. You know, I'm learning all these things earlier in my journey, which is uh, going to benefit me in the long run. I, I, I would space that out now to like a once a quarter. Whereas yeah. it used to be like a once a week or you'd have a big week and you'd celebrate. Well, it's like, well, what if I have a big week and I have a shit week? Well, you don't celebrate the shit week because you're shit. You feel shit, right? You're just scrambling. So, so we have a good week, bad week. It's going to even out. So, okay, let's maybe we have a good quarter and maybe have a little blow out the cobwebs and have a you know long lunch or and celebrate with some clients or something. Um, but I tend, to, I tend to try to pull it back now and I redirect my energy, my income, I'm redirecting all of that to growth. Yeah. So and people go, oh, but I'm here for a good time, not a long time and YOLO and all this shit. Look, whatever, whatever floats your boat, but whatever you do, be comfortable that one day you're going to wake up and you may regret it. Now, one of the important, I was doing a podcast recently with somebody and I was talking about, I don't believe in mistakes. Nothing's a mistake. It's all a lesson unless you do it two or three times. Then you're just fucking stupid, right? But I've learned from the lessons. I've learned from where I bought and sold property and shares and stocks. And, you know, I've learned who to partner with, who not. All of these things are lessons. That's my MBA in business, right? That's the University of Graham of me getting my stripes and apprenticeship of good and bad decisions. Now, at the time, they always seem like a good decision or you wouldn't do it. So for me, I call them lessons. And I think if everyone can adapt that, it's only a mistake if you do it again and again. If you're doing something stupid, you know it's wrong and it's not working. That's the definition of insanity, doing the same shit over and over again. But if you can pull it apart and be more critical and analyze what went wrong and grow from it, that's a lesson. That's business. That's entrepreneurship. I like that. Yeah, makes you feel not as guilty as well. Like you don't do anything once, you're right. That's all my team. Don't be shy. Come and see me. There's never a mistake that can't be fixed. It's a lesson. But if yeah. you put that file in the bottom drawer or you put the matter to the side, that's a mistake. 
you're shying away from it. There's no growth. It's all an issue. 100%. Mate, this has been absolutely gold, obviously being conscious of time. Um, I always like to wrap up my podcast with um, giving the guest the opportunity to ask me a question of something you think maybe the, 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 the listeners would find value in or yourself sure. find value in. So, mate, anything spring to the top of mind? Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. So what would you have done? Two, two prong question for you, Jay. What would you have done differently yourself in your career today, knowing what you know now? Mm-hmm. And where do you see yourself in five years time? Okay. Uh, answering the first bit, what would I do differently? Uh, I probably haven't had a, a long enough career to answer it, I guess, in a, at a very high level. I feel like everything I've done now looking back on it has been the right decision. Like I, I feel like I jumped out of careers into new ones at, at the right time. Um, obviously now looking back in hindsight, I can really see that. But at the time I felt like, oh, it may be too early. It may be too early. So something I've learned looking back, like I'm glad I actually took the leap because everything works out in the end. Either in, with, with little things now, like coming into COVID, I like hired another person and then you get in the middle of COVID and you're like, Fuck, mate, maybe I shouldn't have done this. But now looking back four months, you know, four, four months ago, it's, it's, it's been a really, really good decision, but at the time you question yourself. So, and that's I think that's really important for your listeners, mate. So, you know, in that time, looking back, they've actually been the right decisions. And I think that's so important because you can make right ones and wrong ones. You'll learn from the wrong ones, but you're in a fortunate position where you've jumped, you've made decisions, you've stuck to your guns, and you've got a result, you've got an outcome. And you never know until you know it is five or six or ten or twelve months down the track, and then you look back and go, "Oh, was that right or was that wrong?" That's right. Uh, and then I guess five years from now, um, you know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm 24 now, so I'll be, say, almost 30 years old. Um, I, I want to have the, the $10 million portfolio that I've spoken to everyone about. I'm about halfway there now. Yep. Um, you know, still getting into the mastery of my craft. I want to be the best in my field. Um, I guess at that present time, it's obviously life's an infinite game. It's something I'm learning reading the Simon Sinek book at the moment, the infinite game. You know, you want to be at the top of your game and, and be the people come, to, the, the person people come to um, when they do think of, of your industry. And then I also want to start the, the Henderson's developing um, business that I, I have aspirations to do. So, you know, be the, I guess, Meriton of the, the luxury residence um, space in Australia. So, Nice. Life's a very long journey though, mate. So I've, uh, I understand it's a long, long way to go. Mate, they're, they're, they're big goals and big aspirations and I'm pretty confident, mate, you'll get there. So We can all hope, we can all hope and work for it. Never Absolutely. Bat, people could eat a couple more bats and it could fuck everyone up again. So. <laughs> <laughs> mate, I, um, I really, really appreciate your time. I understand you're a very busy man. Um, and I'm sure you've got some better things to be doing up there on the, the sunny. No, Gulf. mate, appreciate appreciate the time and the opportunity, and and yeah, send it through and cut it up or whatever, and I'll share it as well. And look forward to catching up soon. I will, mate. Legend, thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate.